Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. It was nine and a half years ago, after 25 years of a stormy existence. That God dragged me into a relationship with Him through this church. I remember it was in 2002, after about 20 years of just, you know, um, just dark living. I found myself in Bucks County prison system up there in Doylestown, and they released me into uh, a program or a halfway house in Mooresville called Good Friends Incorporated. And it was through Good Friends that I ran into a, a gentleman that became a friend. He was a local. And he happened to be uh, a tenant of one of the members of this church. And, and, and so in a divine orchestration of God, this friend of mine that I had befriended and the relationship and the friendship was growing uh, you know, uh, we both shared a very dark past. God brought me out. He dragged me out of a lifestyle, I must say, of homosexuality. And uh, I don't look anything Amen. like I looked like when Amen. I came through these doors nine and a half years ago. And there are a few of you here that knew me back then with the long hair and the nails and, and the makeup and, and all of that. But that was my life. That was my identity. You see, over the years of my addiction, I always ran to, I, I was in a pursuit for pleasure, and I went to those things to fill up that emptiness in me, and uh, and so my, my, my sinful seeking led me into that place. I believed a lie for a while, I became a lie. And so this is where I was when I came into this church. And the amazing thing about this church is that they accepted me and they received me just as I was. But let me just tell you about the divine encounter of God. And that's why I stand on John 6, 44 uh, as one of my life verses. It says that, and Jesus was speaking, he said, No man can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I did a little research. That word draw in the Greek uh, gives a picture of someone being dragged. And I believe this is my testimony, God literally dragged me in here because I was out there in this identity. I had surrendered to that. That was my faith, hopelessness, misery I had become. And I was okay with it. I was in sin, minding my own business, going to hell and couldn't care less. And God interrupted that journey with the death of Kevin. And so we're sitting on this barge. Now, I grew up in a Christian family. I grew up in a Christian household, uh, but I was a Christian uh, only by association and maybe by acquaintanceship. I never really had a relationship with the Lord. But at this funeral uh, event, as I'm sitting there and I'm watching all of these other friends of Kevin, uh, perform witchcraft and chants and, 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 and something just didn't sit right with me. So I was asked, uh, 
to speak because I was one of the closest friends toward the end of his life. And so I got a chance to get up there and I ran to the one scripture that I, 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 I had heard my family uh, speak a few times at funeral funerals and it was Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and, and and I just stood there and I just read the scripture just as it was. It was a time and a season for everything in a person's life. And I guess the message I was trying to convey and to comfort people with was this was Kevin's time. And after I spoke this little short lady came up to me very bold, very very brisk. And she called me aside, and she was with uh, Pastor Chuck, and uh, and they wanted to know my name and who I was, and uh, the rest is history. A couple of weeks after that, she brought me a book by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life, and thus began my journey. You know, uh, there were a lot of stumps and falls in that process. Through this church, I ran into two wonderful mentors, Ed Bennett, who is sitting there, and Mel Everson. You know, these are my mentors. These men, uh, this church sponsored me into uh, going into Pure Life Ministries because even though I met them and I've been coming to this church for a while, I just couldn't break away from that lifestyle. Again, my identity was wrapped up. That was who I was, I thought. But it was through the ministry of Pure Life Ministries that God shattered that image and uh, began to form in me the heart of Jesus Christ. And, and today I'm in Team Challenge. I am the intake coordinator. I also do a lot of the uh, resource and development. God is using my gifts in many, many ways through the ministry of Team Challenge. It's awesome. You know, I've been given an awesome platform to tell people about Jesus, how I am intimate with the Creator how he's freed me, how he's changed my life, how he's forgiven me, how he's freed me from the bondage of the law and, and, and habitual sexual sin. How by grace he's covered me with mercy and every day he's turning to new opportunities to just share his love with the students as they come in. What an amazing platform through this ministry that God has done to me. I never thought I would be here speaking and sharing his word. I never went to Bible school, but through the ministry of Teen Challenge, I learned to become one with this word. And so there's a short story here that I want to share with you guys. It's a thought I want to share out of John chapter 6, starting with verse 16. It says, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to sea, and after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. Then, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to them. And they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much, God, for the opportunity, God, to stand behind this sacred desk and to share your word. I am so small. I feel so vulnerable right now because.
because God, my sin is always ever before me, but grant me that I may never cease grieving because of it, never to be content with myself, never think that I can or have reached a point of perfection. Lord Jesus, I ask you and I pray that you kill my envy and command my wayward and unruly tongue. Trample down myself and pride, God, and speak through me. God, this word that you've put on my heart, I truly believe there is someone here, God, that this could minister to. So give me grace to be holy, kind, gentle, and pure, and peaceable, to live for you, to speak for you, and not for myself, to copy your words your acts, your attitude, the grace to be transformed into your likeness, to be consecrated wholly to you, to live entirely to your glory, to deliver me, O oh Jesus, from the attachment to things that are unclean, to deliver me from wrong relationships, wrong associations. Thank you for delivering me from the storms of my past. In Jesus' name, amen. Two weeks ago, well, actually, about a week ago, I received my subscription to Time Magazine. And the title on that was Lessons from the Storm. And God had given me this thought a while ago. And uh, it was a different title back then, this story. And uh, the title of the thought back then, before this storm, was Are We There Yet? And the question that I had asked the students when I shared this was, what do you do when you're not where you're at? I mean, when you're not where you used to be, but you're not where you're supposed to be. And taking out of this context, or out of this text, the disciples were not on the shore where they were, but they still hadn't reached to where they were going, and they had come into this storm. And the lesson I got out of that was that they stayed in the boat. And so I usually encourage the students in Team Challenge, listen, you're not where you used to be, but you're still not where you're supposed to be. Stay in the boat, because there's all kinds of storms that come into the life of the Team Challenge student when they're on this journey. I'm sure that could be said for any one of us. But, you know, the immediate context, you know, uh, we just came out of the devastation of the storm. And I, and, and I heard in, in the opening that there are maybe a few that may not have power, physical power. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm here to inform you, you do have power. <laughs> you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. So just, just a little thing I want to throw out there. You do have power. Amen? Amen. You may not have the physical power, but you do have power. And so let's look to that power within us. You know, never have I ever seen a devastation from a storm such as Sandy. And, uh, and this is where our text finds us. But looking at the uh, immediate context, we see that this, the, the first 14, 15 verses of this chapter serves as the sequel to the immediate context. Uh, this is the story at the time that Jesus fed the multitude. I think it was about 20,000 people he fed. It was 5,000 heads of household. When you factor in the wives and the children, uh, most biblical scholars say it was somewhere around 20,000 people. What an amazing feat he accomplished that day. But before he fed them, we know that he healed them, he taught them the word, and, and we 
see that uh, from the context that they wanted to make him king. In fact, in verse 15, Jesus perceived that they wanted to make him king. These people were looking for a king. Uh, they knew from this amazing miracle that Jesus had just performed that he was like the prophet unto Moses that the prophets had written about and talked about. And so they were looking for Jesus to, to, to come and just make them feel good, to bring them out of their misery, to, to free them from the Romans, like Moses had freed the children of Israel from the Egyptians. And they wanted to make him king. And uh, similarly today, uh, a lot of people, you know, and even though they wanted to make Jesus king, we, we, we know that the Bible gives two pictures of the Messiah. Uh, scriptures uh, lets us know that he would come as a suffering servant and he would come as a sovereign king. Uh, but they missed the suffering servant part, you know. Uh, they couldn't see that in all of their learnings that he had to go to the cross before his kingdom, you know, and they just wanted to make him king. And so perceiving what they wanted to do and by the sheer force of his character, he sent his disciples away into the boat to go to the other side, and he sent these people home, and he went up to the mountain to pray. And I think it's, it's, it's very common that we would do something like that as believers. You know, people want Jesus to make them feel good, what he can do for them. You know, we want Jesus, when we're hurting, to comfort us. We want Jesus, uh, when... When, when things are going crazy in our lives to bring us peace, but when he comforts us, when he brings us peace, when he heals our illnesses, and then our need for him vanishes and evaporates. But when there is need, we want Jesus. And so these people wanted Jesus because of what he could do for them. And they wanted to force him and to make him king. All right? And so this brings us to the text. And in this text, there are three critical events that I want to highlight. Uh, the tempest that overtook them, the terror that overwhelmed them, and the tenderness that overshadowed them. Let's look again in the text in verse 16. It says, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. And after getting into a boat, they started to cross the sea to Capernaum. It had already become dark, and Jesus had not yet to them. I just, you know, I believe there was two reasons that Jesus sent his disciples into the boat to go to the other side. I want to suggest to you, one, that he wanted to separate and to send them away from this fanatical crowd. Because the truth of the matter is that these, these, these disciples, their motives weren't so much different from the crowd. Remember, it was James and John that already had conversations about in his kingdom who would sit on his right hand and who would sit on his left hand because they were just looking at uh, a secular king, someone who would come and reign and rule to deliver them from the Roman oppression. That's what they, even his disciples were. And so Jesus needed to separate his disciples from this fanatical crowd before it became an uprising because he knew he had to first fulfill his mission as a suffering servant and go to the cross. And I truly believe uh, the second reason he sent them uh, into the boat to go to the other side is because he wanted to have them ponder the meaning of the miracle. 
This was the fifth miracle that Jesus performed in the book of John, that John highlighted. And if you read in verse 3, he talked about signs. And the Greek word there for sign means it's a miracle with a message. And so Jesus wanted to teach them something. And apparently he knew that the lesson, the message uh, that he conveyed by feeding the thousands and thousands of people hadn't yet stuck. And so he wanted them to ponder the meaning of the message. But then it says that the sea began to be stirred up because a strong wind was blowing. I mean, this was a storm. This was an amazing storm. You know, when Sandy was blowing, uh, we came out and we just saw trees because we live uh, uh, on four acres surrounded by trees and we just watched trees fall. So many vehicles got damaged and, and I have never seen anything like this. Usually when there's a hurricane being announced coming up from Florida or the Caribbean, by the time it gets up to us, it's a tropical storm. But Sandy was so unique because she rode up on the eastern seaboard uh, several miles out to sea. And so it was right about New Jersey that she turned inward to land. So we really felt the force and the devastation, you know, out there on Long Island and uh, out in the Rockaways and stuff. And we saw some pictures earlier. This was an amazing. But let me just tell you a little bit about the geography of the Sea of Galilee, where they were. First of all, it's about 690 feet below sea level, surrounded by mountains. And so when you get a storm in this, it's like a bowl, and, 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 and it's just violent. You know, uh, Matthew, it, his account was that this was a tumultuous wind that beat upon the boats. You know, Mark talked about the same account and, 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 and talked about how violent this, this, this was no small storm. And these seasoned fishermen were afraid not just afraid that, that uh, uh, because of this storm, but of course later on as we would see when Jesus approached them, the fear that, that, that overtook them. But we want to focus on the tempest that overtook them. After the tempest overtook them, we look at the terror that overwhelmed them in verse 19. It says, then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened. And they were frightened. They forgot whose they were. They forgot who their Lord was, who their teacher was. They still thought, perhaps, that he was just a good prophet. They didn't get the revelation yet that he was God. Even after multiplying that bread and turning uh, and multiplying the meal and, and, and all of that, they, they just forgot and they got overwhelmed with with. with with fear. Nothing can test a person's faith like a storm could. And that's what happened. That's what storms do. It inspects you. It exposes what you're made of. What are you confessing in your storm? What are you confessing in your storm? What they confessed was this was a ghost, especially when they saw Jesus coming. What are we confessing in our storm? Um, it's amazing. God gave me an amazing revelation out of uh, Psalms 23, what David confessed in his storm. You know, in Psalms 23, it talked about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. 
He leadeth me beside still waters. He restored my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. But then right about verse 4, he says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, and thy rod will comfort me, and thy, thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. And, and the amazing transition that takes place in verse 4, when David was in the storm, is this. Look at this. Just listen up. From verse 1 to verse 3, David referred to God in the third person. He did this for me. He did that for me. He is this. It was a relationship that shows a picture of just someone being acquainted with someone. But somehow when David went through the valley of the shadow of death, when David went through the storm of his life, something changed. He got the revelation of who God was. And then he began to speak to God instead of speaking about God. Because in verse 5 he says, you will comfort me. Your rod and your staff. He begins to speak to God in the second person, no longer the third person. Just look at it yourself. I got that revelation and it blew my mind. There's something that storms do to us that just changes us. It expects us, it exploses what we're made of. What are you professing in your storm? And then the third critical event we want to look at really quick is the tenderness that overshadowed them. Verse 20 says, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. You see, after the storm exposed their unbelief and hardness apart, Jesus comes and he comforts them. And that's what the word of God would do in a storm. A storm will also correct you. A storm will also direct you. A storm will even protect you. Now, we're talking about storm. We can look at a storm in a physical sense. It's a violent disturbance of the atmosphere. The strong wind, usually rain, thunder, or snow. Uh, but in this sense, and for the purpose of this thought, this teaching, the storm I'm referring to is in, it's spiritual. It's a means to an end. It's to bring people to a greater revelation of who God is. And that's what this storm really was intended for these disciples. Jesus instructed them to get in the boat and to go to the other side. He knew that there was going to be a storm because it's omniscient. He sent them into the storm. They weren't in that storm by accident. And he sent them into the storm. And he wanted to reveal something about himself to them. And he wanted to reveal something about them to themselves to see where they really were. That was a miracle with the message, and the purpose was to teach us something, and that's really awesome. So what are the spiritual lessons we can learn from a storm? What are the spiritual lessons we can learn from a storm? As we went through Sandy, I said God switched this message from, are we there yet? That original message and word that he gave me into five Spiritual lessons. I think any one of us, children of God, born again believers, can walk in the storm. Instead of cowering in unbelief, like those disciples did on the boat, I think it will serve as well. This is not just a message to them back then. This is a message that is relevant for us today. And I think it's even even more relevant that some of us are still trying to dig ourselves out of this storm. So the first lesson or anchor to uh, our soul and there are five anchors to our soul I want to go through very quickly and then um, 
Pastor Chuck would come and pray, uh, is that uh, he brought us into the storm. Just be reminded when you get into a storm, believer, Christian brother, Christian sister, is that God brought you into the storm. In Matthew chapter 14, Matthew's account is a little bit more specific, and John doesn't really, really uh, become as specific. It says that Jesus constrained them to get into the boat to go on to the other side. He made them go. He insisted that they got into the boat to go to the other side. So we need to be reminded that when we're in the storm, he sent us into the storm. They weren't out of the will of God because they were in the storm. They were in God's perfect will. And we need to be very comforted when we're in the middle of a storm. Those disciples were safer in the center of that storm, in the perfect will of God, than to be out of the storm somewhere on shore looking for cover outside of the will of God. Do you hear me? So they were absolutely in the perfect will of God in the eye of the storm in the middle of this sea. Of course, there are different types of storms that God was sent to a life of a believer. There are storms of correction, and we can see that in the picture of Jonah. God told him to go northeast, he went southeast, and God sent the storm, and uh, there were storms that God had sent in my life personally to correct me through the process of Teen Challenge. Has it been an easy journey? But then there are storms of perfection. Well, God wants to hone our characters and make us like Jesus. Like he did David. So that's the first lesson. We need to be reminded that he brought us into the storm. What's the second lesson? The second lesson that he will help us to grow because of the storm. Read with me in James 1-2, or I'll read it really quick. It says, Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. For when the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So let it grow, and don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full-blown, then you will be ready for anything, strong in character, full and complete. That's the Living Bible's translation. I like that. The whole purpose was to help the disciples grow in their faith. Think about it. When have you grown the most? Fruits are usually birthed out of adversity. I know in my life personally, I've grown the most when I was being corrected by God in the middle of adversity. And nowhere taught me and allowed me to become more and more aware of this than when I went to Pure Life Ministries and now in Teen Challenge. Storms are not optional as a believer. They are mandatory. And we have to learn to embrace our storm because God is using those storms. The very things that we shun from and we run from, these are the very things that God has engineered and orchestrated in our lives to shape our character, to burn out the old nature out of us. So the first lesson is we need to be reminded that he sent us into the storm. The second lesson that he's going to grow our character in the storm and because of the storm. The third lesson I got out of this is that he's praying for me in the storm. Mark 6, 45 through 46 says immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the crowd away. And after bidding them farewell, 
he left for the mountain to pray. Who do you think he was praying for? <laughs> he wasn't praying for himself. He never did. He was up in that mountain looking at them after they had rode and screamed for six hours. Because in Matthew's account, it says that he came to them in the fourth watch. That's about between three and six in the morning. And so they must have left right about, uh, you know, nine o'clock the night before or, or a little bit earlier than that. But they had been at this thing for a long time, straining at the oars when this storm whipped up. They may have put the sails down and got at the oars to strain. And he was praying that their faith didn't fail. He's our great high peace, priest, rather. And as he watched them straining at the oars, he was praying that their faith didn't fail. He sees them, but they do not see him. I don't know what some of you are going through. If you're in a storm, he sees you. You may not see him, but he sees you, and he's praying for you. Romans 8 says that he's always interceding for us. Hebrews 7 and 25 says, Therefore he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's praying for each and every one of us daily by name. So if you're in a storm, be reminded that he sent you into the storm. That he's growing your character because of the storm. He's praying for you in the storm. And fourthly, he will come to you in the storm. Verse 19 says, Then when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near to the boat. And they were frightened. Just when it was darkest, Jesus came to them about the fourth watch. The disciples were seasoned in their uh, 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 profession as seamen. They had experienced storms before, but there was nothing like this one. Now, it may not appear that Jesus comes to you when you need him, but he comes at the right time. When it's darkest and all human strength is exhausted, he comes. He came when he did because he wanted to teach them an incredible lesson. Apparently, they had missed the lesson about the loaves. And so he came to them walking on water. They had not understood because their hearts were hardened, because of unbelief, and he was revealing to himself to them as God Almighty. They didn't understand this because of their unbelief. God is constantly working in our midst, revealing himself to us, and sometimes he would use storms to accomplish that. He will come to you in a storm. He will manifest himself to you in a storm. He will send a word. He will send a song. He will send a brother or a sister. He will encourage you in the storm. That's how he comes. So we need to be reminded, one, and I'll, I'll repeat this until it gets into your spirit, because someone needs to hear this. He sent you into the storm. He's growing your character because of the storm. He's praying for you in the storm. And he's going to come to you in the midst of the storm. And lastly, and final point, he will see you through to the end of the storm. Look with me, verse 21, it says, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land to which, were, to which they were all going. 
Matthew gives a little bit more detail. This was when Peter asked him after he realized it wasn't a ghost, can I come up to you? And he bid him to walk on water. And Peter walked on water, and we all know that account in Matthew 14. But the amazing thing about this last point is that when he got into the boat, immediately the storms calmed, and they were at the other side. Another miracle. Another miracle. When he comes into your storm, into your boat, into your situation, there's an amazing peace that surpasses all human understanding. He will see you through to the end of that storm. Philippians 1 says that we should be confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it. That's his responsibility if you're a child of God. He will see you to the end of the storm. Not only did he send you into the storm, he's growing your character in the storm. He's praying for you in the storm. He's going to come to you in the storm, but he's also going to see you to the end of that storm. I don't know what you're going through. Some of you are in a severe storm with situations in your life right now. And the waves are just beating up on you. I just want to come tell you to take comfort in this. What might seem to be over your head right now is under his feet. There's a reason for the storm. He sent you into it. Take comfort in that. And then maybe there are some of you that are on a smooth lake right now. And everything is just going well. That's good. God bless you. But then there are some of us that have come through some storms. And God wants to use our experience to reach others. He wants to be our eyes, our hearts. He wants to use us to comfort someone out of their storm. I think it's 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 3 that tells us to comfort each other with the comfort that God has comforted us with. God didn't bring us out of that storm so we can just live happy and ever after. He wants to use us to help someone else that is in a storm. And so that's the thought that God placed on my heart, and I, I just wanted to share that with you guys. And um, and I'm so encouraged with the opportunity that God has given me after nine and a half years, after he dragged me into this place, that he can give me a word. To come back to this very church that was the catalyst for this journey for me. You guys played a major, major part. You were a very significant part of that puzzle in my life. And what a privilege and an opportunity to come back here and to share this thought with you. God bless you. Thank you.